Welcome to the Grip Strip Podcast. It's the NASCAR Cup Series Schedule Day edition of the Grip Strip Podcast. Uh, we'll also talk about the IndyCar uh, rumors that are with the schedule they're going to have for 2021. We'll also get into all the racing from last week and this. What's coming up this week? We got NASCAR last week at Vegas where Kurt Busch ends up going and setting the playoff grid on fire uh, with his first win at Vegas. Uh, you also had Chase Briscoe, total domination, and Austin Hill uh, coming back and getting wins at Vegas, along with Formula One, where Valtteri Botas comes back from the dead and finally wins again at one of his best racetracks in Putendrome. Um, and we'll discuss F2 as part of the GSP roundup. Supercars as well will be in that with Scotty McLaughlin going and getting his third consecutive title uh, last weekend. Gainesville for the NHRA. IMSA, where the Acura domination with Elio Castroneves and Ricky Taylor continues. And then the MotoGP and Moto2 at Catalonia. We'll then uh, preview the IndyCar Harvest GP, which will be running on Friday and Saturday. Keep that in mind. Uh, try to get this up well before that. So Friday and Saturday for the Harvest GP, uh, NHRA at Gateway this weekend. Uh, NASCAR, of course, will be at Talladega. Um, World Superbike at Manny Core. Garrett Gerloff trying to follow up another uh, great weekend at uh, uh, Catalonia with uh, another one at Manny Core. And then we will close out on this National Podcast Day because we're doing this on Wednesday, September 30th. So National Podcast Day, we'll uh, talk about some of the people that have been on uh, that their podcasts. And we'll also talk about fantasy football, the, the uh, Fall Brawl League, which uh, I run and Josh is in. And we played last week two of the best teams in the league. And then we'll also talk about uh, the Open Wheels 500 and anything else that comes to our mind here on the Grip Strip Podcast. Um, I'm Philip Matthew, and I'm here with my co-host, Joshua Fine. What's going on, man? Yeah, I'm doing great, Phil. Um, there's been a lot of crazy rumors going around throughout NASCAR and IndyCar. Um, and I think we, you know, we got to talk about it and analyze it. Just uh, a lot of radical changes, I think. Yeah, radical is uh, one way to one way to slice this uh, schedule here for the 2021 NASCAR Cup Series season. Uh, they will be running six road course races, seven if you count the Clash. Uh, that will be on the Daytona Road Course on a Tuesday night, so that'll be interesting. And then they'll be running at uh, CODA, Circuit of the Americas, which will be the week before the Coca-Cola 600. They'll have Snoroma instead of putting it in with the West Coast swing, which would make the most sense. They're going to have it after Charlotte and before the All-Star race, which will be the last race of the Fox portion, et cetera, et cetera. There's one race at Dover. There's one race at Michigan. Two races at Atlanta, two races at Darlington, including they'll be back at uh, Mother's Day weekend for the first race. Um, they'll be running on Mother's Day itself, so that'll be cool. Uh, it'll be in the afternoon, it seems like, so that'll mean it. And, and 
Also, they'll be running at Nashville Super Speedway on Father's Day. So it always used to be the Michigan race was on Father's Day. Uh, they've moved Michigan back to all. They're only going to run the one race in August. I think they probably could have just run Nashville. That would have made more sense there. But, I mean, uh, Josh, there's a whole lot to look at here in this schedule. They'll be ending it early again. It'll be the first weekend of November, as they are going to do this year. The 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 uh, chase races are all the same. Basically, the last 11 races of the season are going to be the exact same 11 races, last 11 races as we have this year. Um, Texas only has a one-points race. Um, that's basically, you know, that's what we get. At least we have Coda. But um, what were your thoughts on and what are your things that you like, the good, the bad, and the ugly of this deal? Well, I think, you know, the biggest change is that they've doubled the amount of road courses that the schedule has had in previous years and from 2018 and last year and this year as well. But actually, it's more of a quadruple because traditionally NASCAR road course racing has only been at uh, Sonoma and at Watkins Glen, and now we have six. So that's in the last uh, three years, we've quadrupled the amount of uh, or tripled the amount of road courses that we've had on this schedule, which is uh, insane to think about because traditionally NASCAR is only raced at those two tracks, and those are only two tracks that they've ever had to worry about for the Cup Series going road course racing. And they've been some of the more interesting races, at least in the past decade or um, two years uh, beyond that, maybe the last 10 or 12 years. So I think that's uh, very much an interesting change. And they're not just um, going to, you know, the same road courses or whatever. They're doubling it or, well, they're adding more. You know, they're going to Coda. Um, they're going to go to Road America, which I, I'm in very much in favor of. And, of course, they're going to have the uh, Charlotte Roval once again, as they've had the last couple of years. And also, as you mentioned, the Bush Clash will now be run on the road course, although we already knew that going in. They had already announced that this year. So I think all of that's going to be really interesting to see. And really, I think the angle that you have to think about it, like why are they adding so many road courses, is I think it's basically going to lock in the dates uh, for the coming year, uh, once they announce the or once they roll out the new 2022 car, which was supposed to be coming in next year, but because of the uh, coronavirus pandemic, they delayed the development another year. So with the changes that are coming to that car, which essentially is going to be an American version of the V8 supercars or some form of that, as what my understanding is, at least at least uh, the handling wise of the car, um, I think it, I guess it makes sense to put it on a, a track or track type that will probably favor uh, that type of setup that we're going to get with uh, how that car performs. And so I'm excited to see how road course racing will evolve in the series next year, and it'll be a lot of challenges for the drivers, I think. But that's probably the most interesting thing for me. Then also the biggest change is that the Cup Series is going to have a road or a dirt race for the first time since 1970, which is uh, pretty crazy. But I don't agree with it because um, I don't think that's the uh, right way to go for Bristol. Um, just keep it as it is. Although maybe um, they'll have to repave it in a few years because I've read that the original dirt race from 2000, 2001 that they had with the World of Outlaws ended up leading to the pavement 
uh, declining and then needing to repave the track in 2007, which uh, leads to the current state that we have Bristol right now. So maybe you'll reverse it and go back to the old Bristol or something like that, uh, which I heard one commentator talk about. But maybe they'll go back to asphalt Bristol, which uh, I think is better than concrete Bristol. That was when Bristol was actually good in NASCAR, and that was all the way back in the early 90s and uh, before that and beyond. So I think for the Cup Series, I think that's probably the most radical thing uh, that, that you're seeing and um, certainly going to be very exciting to see. Absolutely. There's there's a lot to digest, really. I mean, you have to think about there's, I think, as many short there's as many short track races on the schedule right now as there are road course races. So for purists for traditionalists uh, they're gonna be they're not gonna be very happy about the notion that there's as many uh, short track races because there's two uh, at martinsville richmond bristol that's what it is and theoretically you could go and make it five and a half because one of them's a dirt race you know so we will see uh, the increase of the number of races that they're gonna have at um uh, with the 750 rules package looks to go up at least three with the Nashville race in both Darlington's though SOD came out and said he they whatever metrics they look at or whatever stupidity they look at uh, they think the 550 rules package works um, they must live under a rock or uh, be in complete denial it wouldn't surprise me based on a lot of the changes they've made over the years uh, the 550 rules package is trash. It's the same way as I, and, I, and I saw Dave Despain, the great legend himself, said this about the road courses. It's like maybe now that they have six road course races, maybe NASCAR will figure out the the uh, function of a local yellow. Uh, because when you consider that Coda is 3.7 miles, it's a huge circuit. Road America, which will be running on July the 4th, so that'll be quite an interesting uh, deal there in terms of a tough date in a random in a place where they've never been at least a cup series these are long laps they they run these yellows forever you have these stupid stages that's another thing you know getting rid of the stages for road courses has to be a thing um they're only gonna run there it sounds like most of these weekends next year are gonna be one day shows uh, versus minus the new new tracks like the big races like daytona the 600 the southern uh, the last race the, there's like a handful of them and then all the new tracks that they're going to they're going to have practice and qualifying otherwise it sounds like at least based for next year considering the pandemic and all the kind of other stuff going on these one day shows with the with their metric whatever they have for determining fields is going to be the the way to go so we will see about that. Atlanta comes back with two races, though it's a 550 package and Badger Rock Tire. So it's not exactly ideal. Um, they're getting two races because of the same reason that Kansas has two races, uh, but they don't even have the casino yet. Um, it's just a rumor. But then also part of that rumor is they might put it back to the old configuration which might be the takeaway. At least you, if we're going to have two races at Atlanta, it's going to suck for a while because they're going to have a repave and reconfigure. 
you know, but at least it'll go back to the old Atlanta. You're going to have California Speedway ACS after next year's race in February. They'll be reconfiguring it to a random short track. So that'll be something Homestead will be the second race of the year. Uh, we, of course, didn't have the race last in March. We had it in the summer. So we'll see what happens with that as a follow-up from Daytona. Um, you got Bristol Dirt coming off of Atlanta, and then they go to an off week at, for Easter and then go to Martinsville on a Saturday. Oh, so that'll be the Saturday night. So they moved the Mother's Day weekend uh, race. That, that was going to be on Mother's Day weekend this year was the Martinsville race, and they moved it back a month. Hmm. And then uh, you have Richmond, Talladega, the first of two races at Kansas. Nobody cares. Darlington will be on Mother's Day. The one race at Dover, because the other race got moved to Nashville, will be on uh, the week after Darlington won. Then they have the Coda, Coke 600. Then Snoroma, the all-star race, which would be the last race for Fox. NBC's first race of the year will be Nashville. Then the, on Father's Day weekend, then the doubleheader at Pocono, Road America on July the fourth weekend. The Kentucky date will go to will go to uh, Atlanta, probably be a night race. Then they'll have New Hampshire before the Olympic break for two weeks. They'll come back at Watkins Glen and then run another road course at Indianapolis. So the Brickyard 400, as we know it, will be over. It'll be a road course race next year. I mean, whatever. Michigan's one race will be the next to last race before the cutoff, before the playoff uh, grid is set, because then they'll have the Coke Zero 400 uh, as the playoff closer, as it was last year, uh, this year, because of the drama. We need to have the drama. We need to have a, we need to have a cuckold make the playoffs. You know, that's why. You know, you had to have it at Daytona. And then, as I said earlier, the last 11 races of the season uh, this year are going to be the same next year. Of course, times and other things are to be to de- determined. They're the one, the one, uh, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I'll correct myself. Texas and Kansas swapped their spots within the playoff round of eight. Uh, this year, Kansas is the first race of the round of eight. Um, in Texas is a second. It'll be the other way around next year. And then Phoenix, of course, will have the, the finale for a second year in a row. It says NBC on crown jewels. So practice qualifying sessions held at all new facilities or with new configurations, as well as crown jewel races such as the Daytona 500, Coke 600, and the championship race at Phoenix. Races are official halfway point under stage two. Hopefully, We'll see between now and then if they'll finally get rid of the stupid stages, but I don't think they will, which is will just make the road course races even worse, which will then in turn kind of work in the favor of NASCAR to go, even though they're making, even though Jim France is making it V8 Supercars America, um, he basically is with the new car. Uh, you're you're gonna go and and figure out a way to piss people off about the road courses, and then next thing you know, you won't have any road courses, and uh, they won't have any old, they won't have any short tracks to go to either, which is an interesting thing. Um, transitioning into the IndyCar 
side, just rumored, of course, by Robin Miller. He spoke about it earlier this uh, this morning. It uh, came out in terms of the schedule for next year. It's not, a, of course, a foregone conclusion, but, I mean, Texas is going to have a doubleheader um, next year for IndyCar. That will be the first of the first oval races of the year before they go to Indianapolis. It'll be the first time since 2013 that a race other than a, a race track other than Indianapolis has held a month of May date. Um, that was, I, I read it somewhere and just lost the track of that. So the, they're going to be running. Uh, there's only going to be four oval races next year based on what Robin Miller said. Um, Texas will have a double header. They will have gateway late in the year. And of course, the Indianapolis 500 outside of that Richmond, which was supposed to come back this year is gone because of NASCAR. Iowa is also gone because of NASCAR. And it doesn't sound like um, Roger Penske, which had been a rumor is going to be buying the racetrack. Um, also the Brickyard will end up having two, they'll have three races at Indianapolis, the Indianapolis 500 and then two road course races in uh, at the Indy road course. One will be with the Brickyard 400 weekend. Um, the other one of course will be the um, Indy GP before the Indianapolis 500. And it looks like St. Pete, Barber, Long Beach, Texas doubleheader, Indy Road Course, Indy 500, Detroit doubleheader, Road America, Mid-Ohio, Toronto, Nashville, the new street course race, um, second race at Indy Road Course, Worldwide Technology, Gateway, Portland, and Laguna will be the schedule. Of course, that was a lot of the same pieces in place last year. Uh, this was in a lot of ways what the schedule was supposed to be this year, um, you know, with a few exceptions, of course, it was Richmond and Iowa. So as it stands, is uh, there will be 17 races. Yeah, Coda is is not financially willing or able in, to host IndyCar. So what what were your thoughts, Josh, on that? What you read when you read that, and and the lack of oval and especially short ovals on the IndyCar schedule, which are always known to be very action-packed and cool to see because of how difficult those cars are to drive on short ovals. Yeah, I think the lack of ovals for the IndyCar series next season is extremely disappointing. Uh, Iowa's been a staple for the short oval uh, race on the schedule for many years now since it opened you know, all the way back in 2006 or 2007. And the races there have been very enjoyable. I've liked the amount of strategy that goes into it, especially with the amount of tire wear that happens. And I guess I can't fault them for wanting to shut it down because obviously there's, you I mean, you can see it on the TV. There just hasn't been quite as much fan turnout as they would like. Um, the stands have been pretty sparse the last couple of years and also probably this year too because of the shutdowns they weren't able to generate enough revenue and that probably gave them the incentive to go ahead and try and shut it down i suppose um i mean i don't know the numbers i'm just you know going off speculation from my own 
analysis here, but it's disappointing. I mean, I would like to see another long oval. I don't understand why they can't return to Michigan. The, you know, the, the racing there with IndyCar, I mean, obviously it was pretty insane. And, you know, it was at a time when the racing there is, you know, pretty wild with the old style that they had with, or the old car setup with the IRO five. And, you know, the last race is memorable for, I think Dario Franchitti flipping over onto his lid in that race, which, you know, obviously that's a safety reason. And of course, you know, the last race that they had at Fontana all the way back in 2015 was pretty controversial as well. And it was probably one of the more risky races that they've ever run in the series. And they only did in front of like 1500 people. And I guess with the repave from Michigan from 2012, obviously there's, you know, still speeds are high and I'd like to see it there. And, you know, also if they, they need to go back to Pocono badly, uh, I wish they would. So there's, those are, I mean, obviously they're super speedway ovals, but nonetheless, they should deserve to be on the schedule. But if not Iowa, why not Richmond? I don't understand why NASCAR is not letting them do it. Um, I mean, I don't know if there's other um, ovals around there that could, uh, hold a short track race for IndyCar. Not sure if that's even possible. I mean, they did race at Dover back in the nineties, but that's pretty insane. I mean, couldn't race at Bristol because that's, you know, too short for the, the cars and there'd be impossible to run a full field. So, I mean, off the top of my head, like, I mean, I don't really know any like reasonably distanced ovals that are short ovals that NASCAR could go to. Uh, for Phoenix, yeah, they could go to Phoenix yeah, for IndyCar. Sorry, um, yeah. but they removed that, so it's disappointing. And and IndyCar, the you know this is the IRL. This is not Cart. You know they they absorbed Cart because Cart went bankrupt in you know 2008. But um, this series started as a ovals only series, and then slowly morphed into more road courses. And now it's once again a more road course dominant schedule. And you know, you have one really bad oval in Texas, which we all know we don't like. Indy 500, which, you know, obviously the greatest race in the world. And Gateway, which has, has had good racing, but, I mean, it's not a short track. It's or not a short oval. Um, it's, it's kind of like in between, I guess, even though they do run high downforce. So, you know, it's I guess it's okay that they have Gateway there. I mean, good racing, but still need more scheduled diversity. I mean, I don't. I don't know why they just don't hold more races. I mean, 17, yeah, it's, I guess, a good number. Why not have, you know, just even 20 or um, something like that or, you know, 19, I guess. Uh, I don't know why. So just disappointing not to, you know, see as many ovals as uh, road courses and street o- or street races there. Yeah, good point that was brought up earlier on Twitter I read is Jimmy's going to be running Jimmy Johnson. Uh, for all those that aren't, you know, he's going to be running the road and street circuits next year. And he could run 13 races next year in the IndyCar series based on what is going on as it stands right now. Uh, And there's something about points like he could, there could be somebody that runs the four ovals like Tony Kanaan, which I think is what it sounds like or what everyone seems to want is that he'll run those four oval races for Ganassi, including the Indianapolis 500, and then retire from full from his from running IndyCar, even though it doesn't seem like he wants to quit anyway. Um, 
that sounds like like you could get more points in the four races because the only double points race is Indianapolis, and then you have two races at Texas, and then the one at uh, Gateway. Excuse me. So it's it, it's something to see. It, I think Roger Penske. You have to give Roger Penske time to. He's done great things already with the Speedway. He's trying to get this series on a in a place where it's financially viable trying to get more teams in trying to get another engine manufacturer they're doing a lot of different things here it may not be the greatest schedule but i think if they're able to have a stable um off season relatively stable off season and keep what they have in terms of teams maybe grow a little bit you know you get through this next year and they have a bunch of road courses Maybe NASCAR comes back to them with Phoenix or maybe come back with Richmond or Iowa if they don't close it down. You look at Chicagoland now, we we kind of glossed over that part where Kentucky isn't going to have a race at all. Uh, Chicagoland's not going to have a race, and it doesn't sound like Chicagoland's going to exist anymore. I think Kentucky Speedway has more of a chance of existing, and that's a place where the IRL ran Michigan international speedway. When they went down to one race, that was the first track I thought of because that's a track that was built for Indy cars. ACS was built for Indy cars, but they're going to go to a short track, which hopefully would go and allow an in again for uh, Indy cars with a, a date um, at some point. I think they could angle that with like a, a Portland and then, or you can go from there to, ACS to Laguna or I don't know like there there should be a way where and they they may be ending the season later and if starting in like 2022 in October which would then go into what they used to do at going to Laguna Seca or going to ACS that would be an opportunity again so we will see uh, it's somewhat disappointing but it's not shocking uh, it would take Roger Penske, even though he's a billionaire, and he probably want to, he could, but he doesn't want to buy two of those racetracks, which would be cool if he could buy Iowa Speedway and and Coda, um, and then keep have the two tier one grade one circuits in in Formula One for or grade one circuits for the FIA would be under the Penske banner, and then you'd also have a Speedway, whether or not you want to whatever you want to think about Iowa Speedway. Um, it's one of the better uh, tracks there there is because of the challenge that exists. I think for Iowa, it's more a twofold thing like Josh was talking about with the lack of fans and then the amount of um, uh, basically the maintenance and, and stuff that would have to be done. That's the thing where like even with the cup series and with NASCAR trying to go and, and put in the amount of money that would have to be put in to go and upgrade. I guess that's what it, yeah. Do upgrades to all these tracks to make them st- to come up to standard, whatever that standard may be. When you consider some of the, the shitholes that, you know, Arca races at and some of these late model series race at, or you think about some of the spring, like that, that's the thing. It's, it's, it's to the, whatever, like the eye of the beholder, you know, like if you want it to be pristine, then you go to a tilky drum, but that's a tilky drum. 
do you want to have racing? Then you don't really care what the dang place looks like. As long as you have a seat, you can get something to eat, you can get something to drink, and you can have a good time for a good price. That's what racing is supposed to be about. And, you know, like, I don't know. That's that's part of the problem. That's where we're at, and it's one of the many is issues within our society in a time of of a pandemic and all kinds of other craziness that is going on. But we will move on and we'll definitely spend more time on these schedules and some of the things that have come up with that. All the silly season news will be talking through the whole off season uh, about that and, and, um, and give that more color. But for now we'll move on to the uh, Las Vegas weekend at uh, with Kurt Busch, um, Ronnie, the limo driver's favorite driver, winning his first Vegas Cup Series race after many years of trying. He's been in the Cup Series since 2001, so it's been a long time for him, for Kurt Busch to come through in the South Point 400 over Matt DiBurrito in the 21 car, giving his best run he's had in months. Uh, Denny Hamlin was a dominant figure in the race, but ended up with pitch strategy, late yellows, getting stuck and uh, only finishing third. Martin Truex fourth. Alex Bowman actually shows up for once, finishes fifth. Kyle Busch, Ryan Blaney, Eric Jones, Chris Busher, and Kevin Harvick finish the, or make out the top ten. Uh, Josh, I mean, you, got to give credit to Kurt Busch. You got Matt McCall gambling at Vegas home game for Kurt to finally win there. It's a big deal for them. It really flips the playoff on its lid for sure that Kurt Busch is locked in and you have these two wild card races and Talladega and the Roval coming up. Yeah, it was pretty um, crazy like how that flips the playoff field because even without the or even with the win, um, if you just look at it from a pure p- points perspective, Kurt Busch is in ninth place, and now that he wins, that puts his brother on the bubble and puts Alex Bowman on the bubble. Uh, obviously, the story doesn't change for guys like Clint Boyer, Austin Dillon, and Eric Almarola, who you know they all needed to have a good race uh, to keep uh, pace with the top eight and. For them, you know, that's still going to be a challenge. But now, you know, Kyle Busch on the bubble. So he's got to, you know, he talked about, and he said he doesn't think he's going to make it out of this second round. Well, now he's might be predicting his own future. So he's got two opportunities here to make up points and or win a race to get in. Alex Bowman, you know, he had an opportunity to win this race, I think, because he was the first car on good tires uh, on the last couple of cautions. And then he failed to get around Matt DiBenedetto and get up to Kurt Busch on the last restart. And I think for him, like considering how he ran in the spring, and I thought he uh, could have had a winning car there, I think maybe he uh, was maybe a sneaky pick for this race and could have won and didn't have the, or, you know, didn't take advantage of the opportunity. And now you have Talladega coming up, which. NBC always says Talladega is looming, which is maybe one of the more stupider things I've heard Rick Allen say among the stupid things he says. And the Charlotte Roval, which is uh, 
always a chaotic race and certainly as chaotic as Talladega is. So for them, they're on the hot seat. Kurt Busch, he's secure, gets to move on to the next round. Good for him. And like you said, it was an excellent pit strategy by his crew chief there. They're just able to stay out long enough to be able to uh, able to uh, win the race and and not get caught under caution and not get caught a lap down. Obviously, it didn't work out for Denny Hamlin. He he uh, pitted just a lap earlier than Alex Bowman to not be on the lead lap and end up having to use the wave around. And Alex Bowman was able to do that, and then you know they weren't able to make up ground because of you know clean air and the package and all of that. So just a, a failed opportunity for them. But again, Kurt Busch able to you know win at his home track where he's been struggling to win for over 20 years now, and even going back to his formative years when he was driving the the four car in in um, the uh, the legends cars all the way back in the day at the yeah. the bull ring you know so yeah. it's a good good race for him and surprisingly Matt De Benedetto finishes second which we'll talk about him later but it's not going to be good enough and Gumby or maybe they should demote Ryan Blaney to that car so for next year so that'll that'll be the highlight of his season is finishing second that uh, race where he um, was going to be a spoiler at so. Um, not really a very compelling race until lap 237 when that caution came out and put Bowman and Hamlin lap down and Kurt Busch stayed out and got onto the lead uh, for the rest of that race. So, you know, uh, not really memorable other than that, but again, flips the script for the rest of the next two races here on this portion of the playoff absolutely does and there'll be all kinds of drama and fake drama and melodrama all the crap it'll be similar to the daytona uh, deal a few weeks ago uh, going on at talladega for three hours there'll be a couple of wrecks probably uh, the first two stages are going to be relatively tame and not on not have to be watched and then the third stage is when all the nonsense will happen I think it'll be interesting to see some of the non the people that are outside if they're going to go for stages, stage points or a stage win relative to doing the Dale Jarrett strategy, which I figure is what the four car. He usually does that. And I mean, Kevin Harvick didn't have his greatest day, but frankly, he's accumulated enough points where it doesn't matter. It's the same thing for Denny Hamlin, Martin Truex. I feel like all of them are going to be together in the back uh, the entire day. I think Brad Keselowski and Joey Logano might be in the same boat. And they'll they'll all kind of run tailback and wait until about 30 or 40 to go in in uh, the that race there on Sunday before they determine what's going to happen. They may all end up on a rollback, but who knows? It is it is to be seen in terms of the points right now in overall points. Kevin Harvick only leads by three over Denny Hamlin. So that would have actually been a really compelling points championship. But of course, things would probably be raced differently if they didn't if they had a regular points championship. It's pretty close for Brad Keselowski, Martin Truex. Is a, they're only a point behind point gap between each other and then you have Logano Chase Elliott there uh, you know you got Denny Allen you got six you got 58 then you have Brad Keselowski 
And then you have, they have that over there. Alex Bowman right now is the cutoff, and he has the nine-point lead over Kyle Busch. And then there's a huge gap from there. Clint Boyer, minus 20. Eric Almirola, minus 27. Austin Dillon had power steering issues. And all the momentum he had um, in that first round going into it, some of the great runs he had. Uh, basically all just got erased and reality set in again for the three. I mean, also you look at the race, Tyler Reddick had a, had a wreck early as well. So it was a nightmare uh, night at Vegas for the RCR crew. I mean, Dylan had stage points in uh, both stages, which was well, the only saving grace for him. Really? It would have been an even worse night if he hadn't you'd only had how's it go to you'd only he'd a, he ended up getting another seven points or you got eight points more than he would have had if, uh, if uh, he had finished just straight up finished where he finished in uh, 30 seconds so that'll that's something to see. I think they'll be up front. That'll be two cars to look at. Tyler Reddick, of course, tried to make it, try to do a Hail Mary, and it didn't work out for him. You know, Jimmy Johnson and how fast and aggressive he was. He still wants to get number 84. I think there might be a little bit of a push there for Hendrick Motorsports because they need uh, to do something to possibly get Alex Bowman into this next round so there might be something going on with that we will see uh from that one race that wasn't compelling to another race that if you're not a fan of chase briscoe so not me of course i am uh you would probably not find to be all that compelling either the alsco 300 was basically a chase briscoe benefit his eighth win of 2020 and uh was was a woodshed whipping of epic proportions it goes and gains a lot of points on on gumby puts a 17 point gap on him it was definitely a a performance that left a lot of them drivers shocked and uh in shock so uh what did you take away josh from uh, chase briscoe going out there and just uh whooping them all, getting a sweep in Vegas this year. Yeah, I mean, it was a, it's the perfect story for Chase Briscoe to um, dominate again because, like we talked about in recent weeks, the past month, it seemed like he'd begun to fall off, and now Austin Schrindrick was the guy to watch in the Xfinity series. But now Chase Briscoe is coming back and uh, taking back his um, place on top of the series gets his eighth win he bumped austin sindrick out um he or that was last week but he dominated this race and you know like for for guys like austin sindrick um, you know he's got to be able to keep up pace with with uh with chase briscoe and so does justin algar and the the more chase briscoe continues to win uh, it's it's going to be harder for them to to be able to keep pace and and make the playoffs or keep keep making the uh, the rounds and and everything. So for Chase Briscoe, this is um, exactly what he needs. Now he has his eighth victory in the season, and 
actually it's history making because he joins Sam Ard and Jack Ingram as the only Xfinity Series drivers to have eight wins uh, in 27 races uh, to start the season. So that's that's uh, something to note there, a good historical fact, and shows just how good of a driver he is in the Xfinity Series and should be a, an, another win on the resume for him to try to push for a cup ride next year or, or in the future, um, or certainly to... Uh, have an, another dominating year in the Xfinity series next year if he decides to return for the race. But for for the rest of the, the guys, um, you know, it's um, a missed opportunity to win the race, but they probably didn't have much of an opportunity. I mean, Noah Gregson finished second with a bloody nose, and which I guess was interesting. That, that might have been the most interesting thing to happen in the race is somebody just having to fight off a nosebleed in the middle of their car uh, yeah. while they're driving. But uh, just Chase Briscoe continuing to dominate the series like he had been throughout the year. And while he felt it off, now he's returning and he's beginning to dominate again. And I think you're going to see more performances like this uh, throughout the rest of the season. Yeah, I hope so personally, but um, I have no idea what's going to happen with him. We that's the rumors and all. We don't know where him or Gumby or some of these other people. We know Gregson more than likely is staying he in is. the Xfinity series, uh, and so you figure basically JR Motorsports is going to have the seven and the nine are basically set. I think the eight car, as it stands, is going to have Sam Mayer in the second half of the year next year. Uh, he's going to run that. So that'll be an interesting twist to the field later in the second half of the year, having Mayer coming out there trying to compete for wins, similar to what they tried to do with Todd Gillen and it didn't work out. And you just, it sounds like or seems like RCR is going to be back um, in some way, shape, or form. I think uh, Pasta is going to be there in that car, you know. JGR probably isn't going to make any changes. I I, mean, I do feel like Bruckshot Jones is going to move up to the Gaunt car and next year. They'll have some sort of pseudo affiliation with Gibbs. So that'll be, it'll be a little less uh, uh, brutal and they'll, they're not going to be connected with the, the Jordan Hamlin deal, but they're going to be like satellite teammates thing. I feel like that's where that's going. So he's going to move up as a rookie to to be there, and he may end up winning Rookie of the Year at the rate we're going. I don't, I'm trying to think of who else has been called up for Rookie of the Year. I mean, if Gumby gets in the 21 car, he should win Rookie of the Year if, if Chase is not in a good car. Uh, outside of that, Chastain, I think, has run way too many cup races to even be eligible. Even if they, they don't, uh, he says he's declared for other series, that may be the way to get around that. So then that might be it, but we will see uh, definitely this weekend at Talladega won't be as interesting. I think it'll be more of a Chevy benefit. The, the you'll have the, the, what you call the, the colleague cars are all going to work together again. And you'll have the junior motorsports cars working together and that'll, they'll determine who wins that race on Saturday for sure. Um, Points right now, as it stands, Brandon Brown uh, in Herbst, Danette, Chastain is on the outside. The cutoff, he's two points behind Harrison Burton. 
Um, Annette is 10 points behind Harrison Burton. Ryan Sieg had a great run there on uh, on Saturday. He had an RCR car, I believe, and engine. So they ran really good all night. Had some issues on pit road, but they were able to recover, get a top five finish there. One of the best runs Ryan Sieg's ever had. So that was something to see. We'll probably have similar coming to this weekend at Talladega because RCR always has great equipment at Talladega and Daytona. So that would be something if he can go and emphasize that before they go to a road course where he's definitely going to be giving up a lot of points. But when you consider who his competition is, it doesn't really matter as much uh, to try to make it through the cutoff there. Um, I think the only person that's there really that's a, something to stress him out is Ross Chastain. Burton's just kind of driving around. The other three guys are just there for the sake of being there. So we will see what happens with that. The truck series ran the the world. What is what do they call that thing? The dang race there. World of Westgate. I was gonna I was gonna call it the World of Warcraft 200. But uh, wow. the world of Westgate 200, it probably the way way life is going anymore, it could be the world of Warcraft uh, 200. But Aust- somebody who probably is a character in World of Warcraft, Austin Hill, with his no neck and douchey personality, ended up coming back after not doing anything through the first two stages. He ends up coming up in the final stage and being fast enough to go and uh, get that win. He had a brutal Bristol and then came back and said he was going to win at Las Vegas, and by God, he did. And Sheldon Creed, who dominated the race, led the most laps. There was only four leaders in this race. It was definitely not that compelling. Uh, Sheldon Creed ends up finishing second, but optimizing his point situation either way in that he's... Only he's, he's eight points ahead of Brett Moffitt and 13 ahead of Zane Smith. So those are all the uh, GMS trucks right now. The cutoff is Christian Eckes. He's six points ahead of Brett, Ben Rhodes and Todd Gilliland needs to basically win to get in. So how about Austin Hill? Who would have thought a couple of years ago, a guy was driving around in them Young's Motorsports trucks and he wasn't really doing a whole lot of anything. And now he's been a title contender for these last two years and he has a chance as good as any, even though against them two super teams, this one little Toyota Hattori racing team keeps on coming on and winning races for sure. Yeah, it's a good thing for the sport, really, I think, in my mind. Um, he's not been uh or well he's not as dominant i think as the sheldon creeds and the thor sport cars and gms and all those guys but certainly he's been really good in this series uh this year i mean he led a lot of the regular season and he had some poor luck at some of these tracks and he only was able to show up and have one win, but now he has uh, another win here, and he was able to secure his spot, which at last week you had asked me how he was doing. I would have not been as confident because of his poor finish in Bristol, but now he comes back, wins the race, secures his spot for this round, and doesn't have to worry about any of the remaining races uh, in in the this first round for the Truck Series playoffs. So good for him. 
and you know the um, Hitori Racing. They've been a championship winning uh, truck team in the past with uh, Brett Moffitt, and they've had success in this series uh, going back the past couple of years. So it would be uh, hopefully they they can do a good job in in the next round and make it to Phoenix. And I think they're probably the uh, driver you have to, I guess, watch out for because they've been, for the most part, I feel like they've been fairly consistent. They just don't have um, maybe quite as much of the pace or the race winning speed, but they're certainly capable of doing it uh, as just as well as the bigger teams in this series. But a good result for him. Um, didn't lead all of the race, but he led the race when it mattered. Um, Sheldon Creed still finishing second, so he led 89 laps, so wasn't a total loss, but certainly for him, uh, you know, they would like to have won that race, I think, and probably should have. They probably feel like it, but uh, for him, you know, in second place finishes and nothing, nothing to worry about. Then the rest of the top five is people who aren't in the playoffs. Tanner Gray finishing. 12 or third and 15 car and Stuart Friesen basically in, in a lost season finishing fourth and Chandler Smith in the 51 truck finishing fifth. So good race for all those guys. And then in finger in sixth place, he was, uh, I guess there in the race, but, um, certainly he's going to, uh, have to finish, finish good. And, and, um, you know, continue to keep up with, uh, Austin Hill and Sheldon Creed, but, uh, overall, I mean, it was a okay race, I guess, but it certainly would be interesting uh, for the next race uh, going forward in the Truck Series playoffs at Talladega. Going to be a very chaotic uh, event, I feel like, just because it's the Truck Series. And truck Series races at Talladega are always interesting. Yeah, and then they, <clears throat> in this case, it's a cutoff race too, so it, it, you can add more drama to that. It's going to be a lot of destroyed vehicles uh, in that deal here uh, because the next plate race or whatever you want to call them, any might think they still run plates, it will be in February. So there will be a lot of uh, uh, tore-up equipment for sure. You know, going props to Tanner Gray getting a top-five finish there. Uh, again, uh, the former pro-stock champion. Uh, NHRA driver now running pavement and then uh, oval track racing and Connor Daly beating Travis Pastrana and their little bet and blowing his blowing it up like days of thunder uh, and Daryl Waltrip in the first Winston there right across the line uh, there at the end of the race Tyler Hill finished just ahead of him some interesting guys there that uh finished up there in uh, the truck race. It was definitely not, there were some definite issues with uh, some of those vehicles uh, not being able to maintain their line or, or just being a waste of space or things like that. But, you know, it's turning to truck series and, and is turning a lot into ARCA. So, Hey, I guess that's what you get. Um, We'll go and switch from, the NASCAR and we'll go to formula one, which was pretty straightforward. You would say, but it wasn't the 
Russian Grand Prix at Putindrome was supposed to be the day where Lewis Hamilton ended up tying Michael Schumacher in all-time wins in Formula One in 90, with 91. He had qualified on his 96th pole of his career, and he got the start, but he ends up taking two illegal practice starts, which in turn gave him a 10-second penalty, which they served on pit road during the for the pit stop, which ended up having him fall back behind Valtteri Bottas and Max Verstappen, were both on the optimum tire strategy too, because Lewis Hamilton got screwed up with the tire strategy and everything that happened in qualifying. Long story short, Lewis Hamilton ends up finishing third behind Bottas and Max Verstappen. Uh, Sergio Perez ends up getting a fourth place finish with the older spec car. Daniel Ricardo finishes fifth. Charlie Claire finishes sixth. Ocon, Kvyat, Gasly, and Alexander Albon, who had a nightmare uh, weekend, finished, started 10th, took a five place grid penalty with a gearbox change. They had issues with like Strat, ends up having to change tires, whatever, goes and finishes 10th. There, I mean, uh, you have guys. Vettel barely beats Raikkonen. Lando Norris has a terrible day, which was caused by the first lap incident, which saw Carlos Sainz, his teammate, go and crash in the uh, stupid whatever. If you run off the run over the sausage curb, I think that was the the hashtag. If you wanted to go and get drunk, every time they said sausage curb. Uh, that was going to be the one that you had to go and drink on that one. And they had to stay at stupid track limits at uh, Russia and the, the stewards they had there also were not great. Uh, but, you know, it is what it is. Lewis Hamilton actually loses a Formula One race for once, Josh. Yeah, surprising to say because every weekend I feel like you do expect Lewis Hamilton to win the race and if he doesn't win, then it's at least somewhat interesting. Uh, wouldn't have expected him to get those penalties, but he did. And now he's actually up to a total of 10 penal or 10 points uh, for penalties. And he's two points away from being uh, banned for a race, which I don't expect that would happen because obviously he's going to do everything in his power to uh, make sure that doesn't happen to him. You know, he'll, I guess, maybe be more careful for him and team be more aware of the rules, I suppose. But nonetheless, uh, I guess it's a bit of a mistake on their part, and they kind of allow the door to open just a little bit, if anything, to Valtteri Bottas, uh, now only 44 points behind in the championship. and was able to gain 11 points on Lewis for this race, so... Uh, a good result for Valtteri, and he's able to lead a lot of laps and and get the win. But for Lewis, obviously, he's going to have to wait at least another race to get that uh, pivotal victory in the series to tie Michael Schumacher, and it'll have to happen somewhere else. So it'll be uh, interesting to see what happens next time if he can do it. And um, I mean, you expect him to, but hey, nothing ever is guaranteed in racing. So you know. It's going to, you know, you have to make sure that you do everything correctly and perfectly and, and have the uh, 
good fortune along with being good and having good skill to be able to uh, tie Schumacher and then set the record after that. But for the rest of the field, you know, the first lap was a little chaotic. Lance Stroll crashing uh, on the first lap and Carlos Sainz going over the track limits. You know, there was like three or four other cars that went over the track limit. I think Verstappen was one of them. And, you know, with, with the way that they they have it, I mean, obviously it's safer to have pavement than grass or some other form of tarmac, or, you know, gravel or whatever to have there to uh, have track limits. But I, I feel like the way that they, you know, especially in other series in Formula One, they're able to basically leave the track and then merge back on. It's it's kind of, I don't know, kind of dangerous, I feel like. And, and also it doesn't promote as good of a race craft, I guess, to put it that way. And it, you know, not a lot of discipline to approach the track and you can really like um, really overdrive the track and not be penalized for it as far as like having a good lap is concerned. But it was a, other than that, I mean, not really that much, but just, just the, the way that you're allowed to go wide like that is um, kind of interesting to me uh, how they're able to do it. And obviously uh, Carlos Sainz was, wasn't able to successfully maneuver that and he ran into the wall and crashed and, and obviously that wasn't helpful for Lewis because if anything, like to recover recover from that penalty, he would have needed a safety car after the penalties happened. And there was only one uh, safety car in the race. That was the very beginning of the race. But nonetheless, he'll have to wait for uh, at least another race, like like I said. But for the rest of the field, I mean, Max Verstappen, you know, he's had a couple of really bad races lately, and now he's able to get back onto the podium. Um, maybe salvage a little bit of his season. Obviously, he's fallen back in the points chase to Lewis, and you know only seven, 77 points back now. But obviously, he's probably not going to be a contender for the title this season. And Sergio Perez carrying the the flags for Racing Point, um, and a good result for him. Obviously, he's moving on. He found out last week they he'd be moving away from that team for next year. So, uh, good result for him after that news and then you know uh leclerc able to get sixth place in the points uh which considering the season that uh, ferrari has had just uh, at least a decent result for him so good good thing to see for for that team um just a small positive there but for the most part i mean like you said it was straightforward just um not quite what we'd have expected it to be yeah, it's Russia. It's one of the worst racetracks they go to in the whole entire circuit. It wasn't a very compelling race, but the Lewis Hamilton drama plus the crash, the early crashes for Stroll and Signs kind of added a little drama early before it went to the usual typical crap because it's a dump. It's a it's the it's a overrated street parking lot race. People complain about the old Las Vegas parking lot race they ran in Formula One for the finale back in the 80s. It's basically a parking lot race because they're just running in the parking lots around the Olympic Village or whatever, the Olympic Stadium and all in in Sochi. So big waste of time. The next race will be at the Nurburgring. 
uh, not of course the Nordschleife, but the Nurburgring uh, uh, Grand Prix circuit. They had the Nurburgring 24 hours last week along with the World Touring Car race. You can uh, see those results, of course, um, elsewhere. The BMW, a BMW team won the Nurburgring 24 hours with the standout GT crew. Some of the guys that you know, like Nikki Katzberg, or you had uh, Alexander Sims, who ran Formula E for the BMW team. So that's a great battle between the big three German manufacturers there running the Nordschleife. It's a classic race, classic racetrack. Um, you need to be amazing talent to get around there and just be as consistent as you have to be there. But they'll be running the Eiffel Grand Prix. It'll be the debut of Mick Schumacher in a Formula One car on a on a race weekend. He'll be running the Alfa Romeo there. And then the other two Ferrari junior drivers, Callum Eilat and uh, Robert Schwartzman, will be making their debut as the season goes on here, as they're battling not only for a Formula 2 title, but also Formula 1 race seats. Uh, yeah, as Josh said, you have 44 points. Number car 44 has a 44-point lead on Botas. Uh, car 77 is 33 points be uh, ahead of Max Verstappen, who is car 33, and car 33 is 77 points behind Lewis Hamilton. So that was the whole numerology thing. The real battle is for fourth in the world championship, which is between Lando Norris and Sergio Perez, is nine points. So that'll be very interesting to see. Norris, Albon, Ricardo. Uh, fourth, fifth, and sixth separated by two points. Then you have Stroll, Leclerc, and Perez separated by a point each. Gasly, who has the win, of course, at the Italian Grand Prix, rounds out the top ten, but he's only nine points ahead of Ocon, and Carlos Sainz is four points behind Gasly. So that'll be also a, an interesting battle to see uh, as the season goes on, because we have a bunch more races to go, and places that you wouldn't uh, that are new for a lot of these guys in a formula one car and there haven't been there in a long time so that will be something uh, there are only three cars or three drivers Grosjean and the two Williams drivers that haven't scored a point so far in this year's world championship uh, Haas only has one point on the board the Alpha Romeo team has four points and that's the end of that. So we will go from the Formula One side to uh, the GSP roundup. We'll start with the V8 supercars at the Bend uh, OTR Super Sprint, which was uh, won by Cameron Waters and uh, his first uh, regular win of the year. And it was a Good. He's had great runs at the bend so far and also at Townsville in recent races. So the fact that he finally gets through and gets that win is a big deal. But before that uh, was Scott McLaughlin won two races, which in turn helped him win his third consecutive Supercars Championship for DJR Team Penske. It's a big deal for him since it seems very likely that he will be coming to America 
Um, not trying to reference the um, Eddie Murphy movie, but he will be moving to run IndyCars, it seems like, uh, starting next year. 13 wins on this uh, truncated season, 21 podiums in 26 races, 15 poles, but sounds, and he has a 3.6 average finish. It's uh, insane. I mean, the only thing he needs to do now is go out and win Bathurst. Uh, that's the last race of the year. That's used to be the way they did it for many years. Uh, Bathurst 1000 was the season ender. Um, that will be coming here uh, in a few weeks' time. We'll talk about that. It'll be on October 18th. So we will give it more detail here in a couple of weeks on the Grip Strip podcast because it's one of the biggest races in the world. Uh, Daryl Waltrip screamed like a little bitch when um, uh, Jason Bright drove him around. Um, and that was one of the greatest uh, things I've ever seen. That was the best announcing that idiot ever did was when he was screaming like a like Maxwell the pig in that video and then when he was screaming like a pig and Tony was not trying not to crash laughing at um Eldora driving a crate lay model with him screaming around there he crapped himself and all that and I, like I don't know why they made him wear a white uniform because you know full well he can't control his bowels but there's that. We'll see the V8 supercars at Bathurst 1000 for sure. That's one to look at here in uh, upcoming weeks. The NHRA ran the Gator Nationals, so one of the classics that uh, are still left. They'll be coming up to, to St. Louis this week, uh, route the uh, Worldwide Technology Gateway this weekend, but... Last week they did run, um, they ran a, the Gator Nationals, and I'll just go, this website's so bad, unbelievable, this is Ron Caps, yeah, and Ron Caps ends up going getting the win in Funny Car, I'm trying to go, and God, what a terrible website, I tell you, this is ridiculous, you gotta love it. It's like you yeah, own... They had an exploding car, right? Well, yeah, on. Ron Caps blew up, so that that you know you know that's what it's the way that NASCAR the the fan like SOD and Steve Phelps like to listen to the fans that like crashes. It's the same way as there's people who are really in a cars exploding and and fundamentally, I mean, I'm guilty of it. I do like watching the cars explode. It's bad for the teams, but it's kind of driver cool. too. Well, it's really bad for the driver, too, but, you know, I mean, it's the reason why we have John Force the way he is. So Steve Torrance ends up winning in top fuel in uh, the the Swamp Rat throwback and uh, for Big Daddy Don Garlitz. Ron Caps, of course, in Funny Car after blowing himself, trying to blow himself up. Alex Laughlin in Pro Stock in the Haviland car. Matt Smith, he goes and wins. On the um, Buell, MSR Buell, then you have Ricky Smith, the ageless one, the tricky Ricky Smith wins in ProMod, Randall Andrus wins in um, the mental patient, I mean the Top Fuel Harley categories dominated that category this year, you have to be completely insane to ride a Top Fuel Harley, um, period. 
that there's no way to under, understand or explain how that that makes any sense. I, I watch that every time they show it on uh, they show it on the the TV deals and I I watch them guys. You're laying out on a big ass motor and you're trying. I'm like, how the heck do you do that? That's you have to be a nutter. But hey, you know, as I said, it's the same reason we have we have John Force. So. I mean, that's really what it boils down to. Steve Torrance right now has a 22-point lead on Doug Coletta and a 33-point lead on Tony Stewart's girlfriend. And uh, that's really where it's at for those for those for the top fuel title. Beckman leads by four points over Matt Hagen. Tommy Johnson Jr., 57. Ron Caps, 83 points. So we know that a DSR car is going to win the championship. It's just a case of which one. The Pro Stock Championship is between right now Jason Line, Eric Enders, and Jeg Coughlin. So two elite cars versus uh, the uh, the KB car of Jason Line. Of course, two of those three and Line and Coughlin are going to retire at the end of the year. And uh, Enders, of course, is going to do her sympathizing because she's just a dumb whore. And then the uh, Pro Stock Motorcycles, a little more compelling. Five riders within just over three rounds. Matt Smith has a uh, one-round lead on his EBR teammate, uh, Scotty Palchek, who won the U.S. Nationals. And then the Harleys of Andrew Hines, Angel Sampe, and Eddie Krawick. So it'll be between the MSR team versus Harley-Davidson's. And then you have a couple other people, Ryan Ayler, who won the uh, one uh, race earlier this year, Angie Smith, who's the third rider for the EBR. Steve Johnson's out there in the top 10, just ahead of Jerry Savoie. As they run at St. Louis, which is one of the places where Steve Johnson's actually won at. So that'll be something to see. The IMSA at Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course this past weekend uh, was uh, a typical continuation of the uh, recent trends here for at least on the DPI side, Elio Castroneves, Ricky Taylor go and win over Felipe Nazar and Pippo Durrani in the number 31 wheel and engineering Cadillac. Renger Van de Zanda and Ryan Briscoe finished third. Uh, so two Cadillacs behind the Acura, the two Mazdas follow that. And then the, the number five Mustang sampling car, finishes sixth defending uh, series champions Juan Pablo Montoya and Dane Cameron end up falling out late uh, with an issue a nightmare year for them the Corvettes uh, end up uh, winning uh, finishing one two within a second and a half of each other Antonio Garcia and Jordan Taylor wins another race over Gavin and Milner Bruno Spengler and Connor DiFilippi round up the podium on GTLM the, uh, the Lexus, which has been dominant since the return, Jack Hawksworth, Aaron Tellitz, 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 whatever, uh, they win in GTD over Gar Robinson, Lawson Aschenbach in the number 74 Riley Mercedes, and then Ryan Hardwick and Patrick Long in the number 16 Porsche round up the podium there as their next race will be Road Atlanta for the Petit Le Mans. 
but that's not the end of their season because they will have the Laguna. They'll be running at Laguna Seca and they'll run the 12 hours of Sebring to end their year. Uh, so that'll be interesting for sure. Um, a lot of championships decided their endurance cop and, you know, all these other things. And probably be a little more, I don't know, it might be similar to what they would run in March anyways, temperature wise, but it's cool to see the 12 hours of Sebring closing the series versus uh, Petit Le Mans, but that's because of COVID. Um, in terms of MotoGP, we had Fabio Quattararo gets back on his winning rate, winning ways uh, after uh, his teammate uh, Franco Morbidelli qualified on pole on the Petronas Yamahas, and then Valentino Rossi was up there and then crashed um, out of the race. Uh, while running second, Oliveira, who's won this year, he he crashed as well. Polo Spargro, who's had um, the, the good races at times this year, he went out. Johan Zarco and prior points leader Andrea Davizioso didn't even make it out of lap one. So that's pretty nightmarish, to say the least. Go and look at this. Quattro, John Muir, and Alex Rin. So two Suzuki's on the podium. Morbidelli finished fourth. Jack Miller fifth. Franco Peco Bagnaia finished sixth. So the two Pramac Ducatis finished fifth and sixth. Nakagami is the best Honda in seventh. Uh, Petrucci, Vinales, Crutchlow round out the top ten. Brad Binder won um, uh, one of the Grand Prix. I think it was Bruno um, earlier in the summer finishes 11th in terms of the rider point standings Quattararo retakes the points lead uh, he's an eight points ahead of Joanne Mir and then they have a huge gap over Vinales uh, that's what is it 18 points on Vinales for Quattararo and then Davizioso basically nightmarish weekend no points started tailback and now he's 24 points behind Quattraro in the point standings. You have Morbidelli there and Jack Miller in the top six as they move on to the French Grand Prix in a couple of weeks' time. And that'll be at Le Mans, uh, the Le Mans Bugatti, Bugatti circuit. Then you have Moto2, which uh, Luca Marini, uh, Sam Lowe's, uh, finish one and two. Jorge Navarro finishes fourth, and Joe Roberts finishes fifth. So a good run for Joe Roberts, who struggled in recent races. The American rider uh, moves himself up to tenth in points. It's a close battle between him, Marcel Schroeder, and Tom Luthi and Javi Vieje. Uh, that are literally what five points be between the four of them. Yeah, actually, if you add Aaron Kinnett, it's seven points between all of those guys. So we'll see about that. The best finish that uh, Joe Roberts has had since uh, since his when he finished fourth there, finished third. Yeah, so it's the it's his best finish he has had since he finished uh, third at uh, at uh, Burnell. Yeah. So that's, that's at least a good sign. Hopefully it can continue uh, as we follow through the rest of this season for the American team and the American rider. Um, 
with that, we will go to the IndyCar series. We'll start with the previews and uh, the Harvest GP. The IndyCars will be racing on Friday afternoon and Saturday afternoon. Friday afternoon, they'll be on USA. And then uh, Saturday afternoon, they'll be on NBC. Uh, Josh, uh, they, of course, ran there earlier in the summer on July the 4th weekend. That was uh, a race that was dominated by um, Scott Dixon. Uh, There were other people that could have had a chance there, but you have uh, Scott Dixon trying to go and lock up another championship here in the IndyCar series. But um, what do you look for in terms of this weekend, the two races they'll have at the Indy road course uh, and picks basically to win and other standouts? Yeah, I mean, I think you're going to see what we saw back in the beginning of July for Scott Dixon. I think, I don't know which race he'll win, whether that's Friday or Saturday, but I think you're going to see Scott Dixon winning one of these races for the Harvest GP weekend. Uh, it could be the Friday or Saturdays, whatever, but he's going to dominate one of those races uh, like like we've seen. Maybe we'll see Will Power show up this weekend, and he led a lot of laps back on July 4th, but just ended up finishing 20th in that race. And he did start on the pole too, so that's certainly possible that maybe they – bring back that car and improve on it and find a way to uh, have speed and pace there. Um, maybe Graham Rahal uh, has a good race and maybe he can improve on what they were able to do back then to finish second. Maybe they can be more of a challenge to Scott Dixon in that race that we saw back on July 4th. And I think, Certainly, he could be a potential threat for that weekend. Colton Herta, you know, he just won last IndyCar race at Mid-Ohio. Certainly, that could be something for him to go out and win the race. We'll see if that actually happens or not. But, uh, you know, he's uh, definitely a, a good driver uh, in this series on the road courses, at least, I think, could potentially win. Joseph Newgarden as well, somebody to look out for, too. Uh, I thought, you know, in the spring he. Did pretty good as well. And Simon came from 20th all the way to third to uh, in that race, which is quite the the comeback, I guess you could say for for that race. Uh, so I think all those drivers you have to look out for the weekend. But I can I'm not going to guarantee it, but I mean you may as well uh, all but guarantee that Scott Dixon will win one of the races this weekend at the Indy Grand Prix. It's not a bad pick. I mean, it's been a Penske benefit there over the years. Uh, there, it's, That's the trend until Dixon won there on July the 4th. A Penske driver had won every race. I mean, Pagano wasn't a Penske driver when he won. That was the first Honda win since Pagano won for uh, Schmidt-Peterson back in 2014 in the original uh, Indy GP there. So that would be something. I mean, Graham Ray Hall had a great run. There's a great, that's a good point. Pagano has not been able to qualify all year. He's been making up a lot of spots with her. Uh, v- Rena's VK, who's won there in Indy Lights, had a top five run there earlier this year. Maybe it's the place where he goes and gets his first career IndyCar win. Then, you know, you have Connor Daly there. You know, they have more, they have experience from earlier in the year. 
So baby progress was made. You, of course, Pato Award. When is he going to win his first race? Will it be this weekend? It's a good possibility. You have some interesting players uh, going on um, when it comes to some changes uh, with the lineup. You're going to have new, you're going to have drivers, different drivers in different spots there. Um, you know, race details. We can go and bring up James Hinchcliffe will be driving the 26 car for the last three races of the year. Uh, he will be, uh, which is basically a parking what he's going to be doing next year. Uh, he'll probably be in the 26 car next year full time with Genesis. But for right now, this year, he'll be in the 26 car for the last three races, which Gainbridge. Uh, Sage Karam will run this weekend uh, with a new sponsor, Oil Soil, whatever that is. You'll have Colton Erta there. You have Marco Andretti will be running yet another pink car. So there'll be there'll be three effing pink cars out there that look all the same with Alex Pillow, Jack Harvey, and then Marco Andretti. But you'll know it's Marco Andretti because it'll be slow and in the back. Dalton Kellett will just be in the way. Uh, other than that, uh, yeah, Sebastian Bourdais will be making his IndyCar season debut here in the last three races before he takes over the 14 car full time next year. Um, so that'll be a nice uh, spin off there. It'll be a good cheapy pick, as uh, Missy would say on the I, the Indy Sports Car Podcast. Uh, other than that, you got you got your and of course Elio Castro Dash Neves will be filling in for Oliver Askew, who has having symptoms from I guess concussion protocol, um, and because of that he had to tap out, and they called Elio Castro Dash Neves in to fill in for Oliver Askew at Spam. So that'll be one to look at because he's looking at for a ride next year since the Acura program is not going to continue at Team Penske. And if rumors are going on a certain way, you might be looking at some of these other guys that are within the current uh, grid might be looking for rides elsewhere. So like Ryan Hunter Ray, that'll be something to see here Friday and Saturday, what goes on at the Indy road course for the Harvest Grand Prix. And then uh, we'll go, I'll just, before we get into Dega and the picks, I'll go into NHRA Gateway, of course, went over the points. It's a, we'll see in terms of who and the DSR crew can go and, and, and maybe stake a claim this weekend at one of the better tracks they have right now in Gateway. You know, Top Fuel, Ken, uh, can Doug Coletta mount a charge against Steve Torrance? Pro stock is going to be between Enders and the two guys that are going to retire. So that's going to go all the way down to the end. Uh, Pro stock motorcycle, of course, with the um, EBR versus Harley Davidson battle. That one will go all the way to Vegas here at the end of next month. Uh, World Superbike at Manny Core. As I mentioned earlier, um, Garrett Gerloff had a great run at uh, Catalonia a few uh, week or so ago. 
I've got a couple podiums, got uh, put him, sir, not podium, but he got, he, he put himself in position. He did get a podium actually in one of the races. Um, will he be able to go and do that in race two? He was able to get a podium in the Super Bowl race. He got a top five, and then in race one, he got a top 10. So best run so far this year for him, three races to go or nine races to go theoretically in nine total races, but three rounds to go. Can uh, Garrett Gerloff continue that progress that he had at, uh, at Catalonia here coming up? He's right now in points. He is in 12th. He is 20 points out of the top 10. So that's really a goal. That'd be a good goal to get into the top 10 of the point standings. Leon Haslam, is in 10th. Tom Sykes, former world champion, is only two points ahead of him. And he's got a huge gap on his teammate, and he's got and Eugene Laverty, uh, amongst others, there uh, in the World Superbike Championship. So we'll go to NASCAR. We'll go to... First, we'll start with the Truck Series. Truck Series race will be the Chevy Silverado 250. That'll be on Saturday afternoon, midday. Entry list. I guess we'll go to who is for you, Josh, who's your pick to win? And uh, who would you look at as like a wild card? Because it's definitely a wild card race. Yeah, I think for this race, I it's got to be one of the four drivers. I just feel like they have a better success at the restrictor plate tracks uh, at least in the truck series so i i'd probably say it, it would be somebody like uh like matt crafton possibly or or um ben rhodes i think i feel like somebody like uh those guys or even grand infinger actually i'd pick probably grand infinger because he has had success at the restrictor plate tracks in the past and he seems like someone who's really mastered the restrictor plate races throughout the years. And maybe a wild card, somebody like, um, somebody maybe like uh, Chandler Smith, possibly. Or even here's a real wild card, maybe somebody like Trevor Bain, who, who has been in the past, you know, he's Daytona 500 winner and has been, I don't wouldn't say good, but... He's definitely had opportunities at some of the restrictor plate races in the track. So, I mean, wouldn't be surprised to see him throughout the top 10 uh, throughout the day in the, the Nice number 45 truck. So I think uh, Grant Infigure and then Trevor Bain, uh, people you have to look out for. Yeah, that, those are, I mean, I Trevor Bain definitely, I mean, if Nice has anything, they would want to show it there in that spot. I would go and add, there's two two trucks that kind of stand out. You have Gus Dean, who's a former ARCA winner at uh, Talladega. He's driving the Hill, the Timmy and Tyler Hill, number 56. And then also Joe Niedicek driving an 8, the number 8 Ford. Uh, usually his son drives that one, but he'll be running that. Corbin Forrester, well, I guess they're running... He'll be running a Ford body. I guess he'll be running a Nice, or not Nice, a DGR Crosley truck this weekend. Hmm, that's interesting. Um, instead of like David Reagan, who's a super speedway specialist, if there ever has been one. Um, 
Joe Niedicek, who's won his fair share of super speedway races in Xfinity. Um, that truck will draft very well. Uh, so you, if he's around at the end, you'd have to look at that. Spencer Boyd's a defending race winner um, after Johnny Sauter got penalized for going under the yellow line. So those are all kind of standout like wild card picks. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to say Todd Gillen goes and gets the win. He'll he'll back his way and he'll win and he'll back his way into the next round, knock somebody out points wise. I would have thought they would have had a chance, like uh, the way that with the way things are going for the the Kyle Busch Motorsports team, it'll probably be Christian Eckes that goes and gets screwed because of that. From there, yeah. we'll go into the Ag Pro 300. Uh, Xfinity Series race, second Xfinity race of the year at Talladega. First time that's been the case in ever, I think, um, or in a long, long time. Uh, uh, same thing. Uh, what, what do you look at, Josh, for a, a, a winner? Who do you look at for as a wild card? Yeah, I think it's like the same story we saw on August 28th for the Xfinity Series is going to be another college racing benefit. And I think given the point situation and the playoffs, I think this is Ross Chastain's race to to lose. This is his race to win because for him, you know, he doesn't have a win yet still in this series. And he needed a win, you know, at Daytona. Even though he was able to make it in, he still needs a win. And I think you're going to see a very concentrated effort with him and his teammates. Probably, you know, Almendinger is probably in this race, and and well, Justin Haley as well. That they'll be drafting behind him, and they'll be sure. I mean, I don't know if they'll go for it on the last lap, but they'll definitely for the first, you know, like 112 or 110 laps of that race, they'll definitely be right behind him and pushing him in the draft. Make sure that he's in the lead, you know, they'll probably do some blocking for him possibly. So I, I think you're going to end up looking for a, a colleague car that ends up winning this race. And I mean, I feel like junior motorsports probably will have a, a good race or at least they'll be in contention and they weren't at Daytona, but you know, Noah Gregson did win this race or win the first restrictor plate race back in February. So I think they will be contenders as well. Maybe we'll see somebody like Hemrick. Maybe he can have some luck, you know, fast pass to Alfredo, Anthony Alfredo. I think he'll be somebody to look out for too. But don't don't underestimate somebody like, you know, Brandon Brown, who obviously he's probably on the, the bubble for the playoff series. And I think for him, you know, if they can come out of this race with a, a good run, you know, like a, a top 10 finish, that would be a win for that team. And certainly could make up some points depending on how the race plays out with uh, Rex and everything, and in this uh, restrictor plate race uh, playoff race for the Xfinity Series. Brandon Brown was kind of what I was thinking. They built it up. He's like, oh, you know, we're running Vegas this week, but we're putting everything into Talladega. And I'm like, okay, well, that's what we're going to see. Is he going to go and run for stage and playoff points? Is he going to run? for the win what is he going to do can he get the help necessary to go and get pushed up there you look at a lot of the small teams like the mario goslin team they have 
three cars out there. You have Tommy Joe Martins. He's out there. You look at those stupid Mike Harmon pieces of crap. They're out there. And the, what do you call SS Greenlight vehicles? Garrett Smithley, who doesn't know how to use his mirror, will be in this race. So those are all, if they had, I think if they had had uh, Greg Alding, it might have been a little more compelling there, but. Of course, A.J. Allmendinger is going to be the one to watch. I think if the 66 isn't starting parking, then the 66 has a chance uh, with Timmy Hill, who finished third in Daytona in February. Uh, The 16, of course, with A.J. Allmendinger, was going to win at the Daytona in in August and then got wrecked. So he's, he's become a pretty good super speed. He's been a good super speedway racer, even going back to his cup days, AJ Allmendinger. So that would be one to watch from tailback as Rusty would like to say. So last but not least is the yellow wood 500 cup series event at Talladega. It'll be the second race of this round of the playoff. I'll uh, go here first, uh, change it up a little bit in terms of Brendan gone, of course, will be his last career cup race. Uh, so you'll probably run dirt still and, but he'll be, will be, it'll be the last time he'll be in a cup car. So hopefully he has a good run there. Um, Timmy Hill will be in a MAGA car. Looks like it's going to be a Ford. Uh, this weekend, it'll be the same Ford. I think they ran at Daytona, which was a specific super speedway car, got destroyed. They repaired it. So He's in I Toyota. Th- well, it says Toyota on there, but I think they have uh, – they did the rendering on a Ford, so who knows? I mean, it could be either. They have every manufacturer. It's, it's MBM, so it doesn't really matter. We'll see what they have. Uh, you know, you have Justin Haley in the 77 with sponsorship with Parts Plus. I don't know, maybe you can go and get a second win. That'd be something. Uh, you know, Redick is deep, deep in the field, 30th. Bobaru had a chance to win at Daytona for all the sympathizers, people that hate him. He had a chance to win that deal. Of course, William Byron running a GMAC throwback, basically, with Hendrick cars because um, Hertz doesn't exist. They're going bankrupt. Jimmy Johnson's back there, 17th. Had a great car at Daytona a few weeks ago. There will be two Menards Fords. Uh, row 7 is the Menards row. So um, with D Burrito and Blaney. Blaney, of course, a former winner at Talladega. Um, Clyde is up there starting 10th, former winner at Talladega. Recently, of course, Blaney won there earlier this year. So um, I'll go with... I'm going to go with uh, I'm going to go with Clyde. I'll go with Clyde. I, I mean, I, I it sounds like I figure I'm going to pick Clyde next week too, but you know, it kind of makes it's just for some reason I feel like Clyde uh, to go and win here at Talladega. The Chevys were pushing really well at uh, Daytona in August. I also think that the Hendrick cars worked well together. I was talking about Alex Bowman but I do think in the end, who's going to make the better move at the right time? Clyde goes and wins there. Uh, a wild card pick would be Chris Busher for me because he's been solid in recent weeks in that 17 car. 
and he's an underrated driver period but i think they're an under that's an underrated car and an opportunity there for the 17 he had a chance in 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 august at daytona as well so i'll pick chris busher it's a car that has one there recently with o richard uh, how about you josh well, I'm going to go on a limb and say that we don't see a chaser or a playoff driver win this race. And I think that Ryan Blaney will sweep the year at Talladega. It will be his third race in a row that he win if he does at Talladega. And this is basically a Ryan Blaney benefit, I feel like, Talladega is. And he was strong at Daytona, too, in February. And I think in, even at August, I who probably could have been considered a contender. So I think I think YRB goes out and spoils the party for the playoff drivers. And of the playoff drivers, I think you'll probably see Denny Hamlin will probably be the best car there. He obviously won the Daytona 500, and maybe he could bookend the race, but I think he's going to have some tough competition, and possibly you'll see Alex Bowman uh contend i think he's probably gonna have a good chance there and i think he's maybe a little bit underrated as a restrictor plate racer but i mean i guess ryan blaney's good enough to not say he's wild card because i mean obviously we kind of can feel like we do pick the playoff drivers first but i think maybe for a, a wild card like an actual wild card who like has probably less of a shot to win is maybe somebody like Ryan Newman. Um, obviously, almost won the Daytona 500 and last year at Talladega at this race finished second and a very close finish to Ryan Blaney. So I think somebody that like uh, of like really non-contending drivers to look out for is probably Ryan Newman. But uh, I think it's going to be a very interesting race to watch and play out, and there'll probably be a lot of wrecks and there'll be a lot of chasers and playoff drivers who think um that they'll be able to win or something and they'll make the wrong move and cause a big accident probably i think there's going to be a lot of demolition once they get to the third stage i think it's something that with most of these plate races even though they're not plates they don't run play they run the tapered spacer but you they run for two stages you kind of stay tame and then it all goes to hell in the third stage so that'll be something to see for sure uh before we go we'll go and talk about briefly talk about the uh fantasy or the the league here my league the fall brawl league here uh 2020 been going on for 13 years i got uh josh to come in a bunch of other podcasters you got my one of my mentors and professor jay uh, i've got five stars podcast uh, you have uh, mike uh mike joaquin and pit lane parley he's in here we have the we have clayton caldwell with uh his team amazing fanatic 31 he's uh the talking in circles podcast so i mean we got a lot of podcast participation here in uh, the league and last week of course uh, josh and i played each other um wilson uh, one of my good friends ended up because of patrick mahomes uh passing me there for high points i was about to have high points first three weeks of the year great performance though by josh in general that was the most the closest performance i had all year but josh ends up taking 
uh, a loss here. He's two and one. He's still in good position. But um, yeah, definitely a competitive matchup uh, there last week for us in our first battle as a first time as combatants here in fantasy football. Yeah, I think for the first like half of Sunday in uh, the league, like I thought I was going to be able to win. Um, the projections were showing you uh, ultimately winning out, but like I thought I w- my players would be able to build up a big enough lead where like you wouldn't be able to catch up to me. But then in the four o'clock games, you ended up taking the lead, and uh, you know you just had Dak Prescott on your team and put up a, a big, big performance in that game, scoring 51.8 points. And Ezekiel Elliott also getting a somewhat big game also with 21.4 points uh, scored in that. And that's what killed me in the end is, you know, you just had two outstanding quarterback performances with Dak there and Josh Allen. Josh Allen, yeah. yeah. So uh, for me, I mean, like I thought I'd do good. I mean, Allen Robinson – had a pretty good game where Nick Foles ended up saving the day for the Bears. And uh, one of my friends is a huge Atlanta Falcons fan, and we got to roast him again for the Falcons going 0-3 there. And, yeah. You know, but yes. just a, a solid weekend just didn't quite have enough uh, for me. So um, good good win there for you, and uh, look forward to battling against you throughout the rest of the season. Hopefully, hopefully you can take it all the way to the title game. Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully that's what, uh, that's the hope for me. I haven't won this deal in a long time and it would be cool to go and talk about it on the show itself going and saying, Oh, so we're going to have to preview our, uh, our battle for this, uh, championship. And we'd both be in the money in that, in that sense as well. So that would also be great. Um, I mean, uh, I'm battling uh, one of my uh, friends, Manny, works for CBS, and uh, he passed the central casting, so all the little girls love him, and uh, he makes a lot of money, and he's a Pittsburgh fan, and uh, his team is not playing right now, because not because they have COVID, but Tennessee Titans players have COVID and coaches, so that'll be interesting to see what happens with that. Get in more detail with football uh, as the racing season ends. We'll probably go and talk about silly season, other things, and then we'll also get into football. Probably go and balance that whole deal out for sure. Um, Want to give credit to on this national podcast day. Also, I mentioned all those podcast guys, and they're all good friends and people who have helped me and helped Josh and I in our process of. Uh, getting the GSP off the ground for on all these episodes now, like over 20 plus episodes here on the GSP. It's just something to see that uh, we've been able to do it and uh, have fun and just talk about racing and just bench race the way that you'd really want to, the way you're supposed to be able to, even though the, even though the world we live in, you're not supposed to disagree or if you disagree, it becomes just like the extreme volatility crap um so it's nice on this national podcast day i'm glad that josh and i are able to do this deal and we're going to continue to do this for a long time we're going to continue continue to have fun and talk about all these different racing series and football and whatever other things that come up sports and uh probably keep some things off for sure but uh definitely uh, 
motorsports and football and other sports as they come along. Um, go and talk about the F1 Grid Talk with George Houston, former guest on our show. Uh, they have over 60 plus episodes. They're on all different podcast platforms like the other uh, shows that I mentioned uh, for Pit Lane Parley, for Talking Circles, for I've Got Five Stars. It's a wrestling podcast for Professor Jay. Uh, if you're an indie wrestling fan and you listen to this, then that's your show to go to that and um, Yakuza Kick Radio for Cat Morris. Um, he's a 49er diehard like myself and he's nuts, um, which is great. He's hilarious. Um, and he's just, he, he'll tell it like it is. Uh, if you think that I'm unfiltered, we're unfiltered here, that show's unfiltered for sure. Um, give credit to all those guys, all of us, we do these podcasts for fun and we do it as a passion project. Um, with that, uh, Josh, uh, what do you like to promote as we go out here? Yeah, I mean, always, you know, you can follow me on Twitter uh, at JP Huffine and then Twitch at Usailor2. We'll try to be streaming some uh, iRacing here soon. And uh, as I try to prepare for the Open Wheels 500, I'll, um, this isn't a formal announcement, but uh, intend on racing in that and you know, we had our friend Tanner from OpenWheels.com earlier in the year talk about that race, and um, you know, it'd be interesting to try to see if I can uh, make it in the field for that and um, do some IndyCar racing on iRacing, and that's kind of what I've been focusing on on that platform the last couple of weeks, uh, just trying to get comfortable with the car and and get used to um, making passes and and uh, holding down the car as the tires continue to wear and um you know practice pit strategy in in the the game and against other people and you know just plan out how how i would i would pit uh according to the fuel run and then also factor in yellows too so it's been interesting and um i did end up winning a race like last week and was able to uh win at auto club actually and uh came down to the very end where we were all in old tires, and I pitted and got the uh, didn't get the lead under caution, but was the first one out of pit stops, and then ended up taking the lead after the restart and first win in the oval series for fixed IndyCar racing on iRacing there. So it's a good thing, and uh, hopefully I can uh, get enough experience setting up the car and uh, getting comfortable with it, and you know, being able to get a successful entry and everything. So look out for that coming soon. And uh, just hope, hopefully I'm able to get a good experience in that. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, if you need to, I guess I, I'll offer if there's any service uh, that I could help with. I don't know if I'm really could be that much of a help, but if you need a spotter, extra spotter, strategy person or something like that, if there's some way that I could do that, I don't know if I need to be on the, platform itself or if there's some yeah we'll go and do that and we'll definitely talk about it here as it comes up closer uh, tanner watkins he currently works for indycar so uh, but he still has the indy the open wheels 500 uh, we had uh, spencer neff on who used to be his right hand guy there indycar1909.com so he's currently writing for himself at that pod uh, with that uh, blog 
but uh, openwheels.com is a great website when we were around, and uh, Tanner is going to keep on running. He's a good sim, really good sim racer himself, so that'll be interesting to see. Hopefully, Josh makes the field. We can go and talk about it. Maybe we can get a GSP logo somewhere on the car, as long as it's not underneath like the, the radiator, like the sit crop people and uh, AJ Foyt uh, back in the day. But uh, for me, I'm at Philip G. Matthew on Twitter. I'm on Facebook or Philip G. Matthew. Uh, we're on uh, the Grip Strip podcast is on uh, Podbean. We're on uh, Spotify. We're like uh, we're on a bunch of different places. There we're on a- Amazon Music as well here. So Apple Podcast, Podbean, Amazon Music, um, Spotify. And uh, we're also, of course, I'm a co-host talking in circles up here on F1 Grid Talk. And so there's you could find me on different shows. You can find me on uh, social media. If you want to go and talk about racing or debate or whatever, it's fine. And uh, yeah, philipgmatthew.com. You can go and find the show there. You can also find written content back in the day. Hopefully can put out some more stuff actually currently. We're working on that as well. So next week we'll be back. We'll go over all the racing that happened uh, at uh, Indy, at Gateway, at Talladega, et cetera, et cetera, and go into what will be going on next week and any other big news that comes up here uh, in the world of motorsports and in uh, other sports for that matter. Uh, So for Josh, I'm Phil. Uh, Stay safe. Social distance, wear a mask, take care of one another. Take care and God bless.